Here we go. It's another edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. And once again, we have a great guest in store. We appreciate you listening or watching and hope you and your families are staying healthy. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Good to see you, Alan. Uh, Nice to be back. And joining us in this edition, Alex Roy is back with us. Alex is the founder and host of the No Parking Podcast. There's much, much more to the bio, but we'll leave it there for the moment. Alex, thanks for being with us again. It's always fun to see both you guys. Thank you, Uh, Fred. Hi, Alan. Yeah. Hi, Alex. Uh, Great having you. Alex, we had you on with us just a few short months ago. I think it was early February. Anything new going on in the world? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what is the, uh, what's the the line? It's like, you know, 10 years pass, nothing happens. A week happens, 10 years. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, uh, time is a bit of a blur. You know, I remember actually three months ago, a friend of mine sent me some videos of from China of people being like welded into like apartment buildings and their doors welded shut and streets being like fumigated like in Wuhan. And I immediately went out and started buying. It's like early, mid-February, started buying groceries and thinking something weird's ha- going to happen and started thinking about what, how that's going to affect transportation. And here we are. Did you buy toilet paper? Is there, are you the guy that got all the toilet? I mean, I, whatever. I mean, who would have thought toilet paper was going to be the commodity? I mean, don't people have rags and water? I mean, well, you know, my, my mother grew up in uh, communist East Germany and taught me uh, to be very uh, frugal with certain things. Among those things was toilet paper. So, no, I did not stock up on toilet paper. First off, uh, among your titles is Director of Special Operations at Argo AI, a self-driving technology platform that Ford has invested a billion dollars in. VW has also invested there. What can you tell us uh, about the impact of of all this there? Well, I think the I mean, I I think the biggest thing is that it's this has accelerated. I mean, say this coronavirus has accelerated the consolidation of companies in the transportation sector. You know, we, for many years, there was probably too many companies claiming to be developing autonomous vehicle technology. And then a lot of the folks left those companies, uh, and we had the ride hail companies, and a lot of people left those companies and started mobility, scooter startups. And suddenly you see, under great pressure, everybody has to justify the money they've raised and the development paths And I think it's becoming really apparent that beyond the technological hurdles to build autonomous vehicles, um, you have to build a business around the technology. It doesn't like, it doesn't matter. And my, my friend, Brian uh, Selesky is the CEO of Argo. He often says this, you know, that if you can't scale it, if you can't build a business around it, it just doesn't matter. And, uh, Whenever we talk about this behind closed doors and, and I try to explain to people why business model matters, because there's still people out there who think that's, you know, growth is everything, even if you're losing money. If you could build an autonomous vehicle like Knight Rider, like the kit, the 2000, if you could build one 
why would you only build one and, and lend it to one guy? It makes no sense. If you could build a, an autonomous vehicle and improve safety and potentially build a profitable business, of course you would. And so suddenly we're seeing everybody, I think in the last few days, uh, was it Bird or one of or Lime, Bird, one of these you know, scooter companies, their valuation imploded because they could never build a business around scooter rentals. And you're going to see a lot more consolidation in this sector. I, I have always said that there probably should only be four or five autonomous vehicle companies in the world. When I say companies, I mean companies building the actual stack. And they'll, like Morgan Stanley said years ago, there will probably only be you know, five or six car companies in the world. And logically, the, the autonomous vehicle companies will align with a few manufacturers, and then you will see the business models fight it out. Because eventually, the technology will reach maturity. Uh, it's the business models that have to justify themselves, not the technology. I, I, I absolutely agree. Now, coming from an academic institution and academia, all we, all we ever needed to do was to put books on shelves, you know, or or get uh, peer-reviewed publications, and we didn't we didn't care about whether or not we were building a business or so or whatever. Uh, but uh, but in fact, you're absolutely right. And in fact, the value of this thing doesn't get captured unless you build a business. If we're not providing mobility to people that they want to use and pay for, then what are we doing? I mean, my goodness. I mean, and and to me that this has been really the driver for me is that is the fact that 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 I look at these things as mobility machines. Uh, that's what I call them because they're out there they're they're gizmos just what are they good for? moving things and people and and why would you want to do anything else and why would you want to own one for yourself as you point out and have it sit in the driveway what uh, 90 whatever percent of the time and so on these things are out there they they just want to work they just want to do stuff they just want to move that's the beauty i will confess to you that there was a time where I didn't entirely buy into the small delivery bot uh, concept. Uh, there's a few companies out there, uh, friends of mine have invested in these companies. Uh, Starship yeah. is one of these. Starship. Companies. And I, I didn't get it because as a New Yorker, the notion of a, of a bot driving by, a, going on the sidewalk in New York City, carrying anything of value, even though I, I, <laughs> I consider myself a good person, my natural instinct is to kick it over and take what's inside, even if I don't need it. It's just, that's just, you know, like, and I think I'm a good person. So um, you can imagine what some other people would do to that thing. And so, uh, but suddenly um, I see the value of these delivery bots. Now, the fact that coronavirus and, and many of the places where delivery bots would make sense now um, uh, are closed. So like a college campus, I mean, Brad Templeton, I, I, I watched you guys talking last week. <laughs> You know, the fact that a delivery bot on a college campus would be great, um, and and that's not to be. But if there were delivery bots like right now where I am, uh, I would love it. It'd be great. And it's you know a great thought experiment would be what what if coronavirus had landed five or seven years later? You know what would it look? What would that look like with the first real deployments of autonomous vehicles? What might 
have been mitigated in terms of delivery for food and medicine and other items. So when people, and I've heard some people suggest that because the sharing component of autonomous vehicles um, uh, may, assumptions about sharing may change because of consumer behavior in an age of coronavirus, that the sharing component of business models of autonomous vehicles may not play out the way investors hope. Actually, I, I would argue something completely different. Um, the Wright brothers, <laughs> I love using this one. Then the Wright brothers, they, they, you know, they, uh, you know, they flew the first prototypes. They didn't go very far. And it wasn't that many years after that. Uh, and, and Zeppelins were all the rage. In fact, the, the Empire State Building was built with recesses for Zeppelin docking. Um, and the, you, know, you had the Great Depression and the stock market crash in 1929. And there were people who said back then, oh, 50 feet? Th- those planes suck. Zeppelins are everything. Um, oh, uh, you know, <laughs> Great Depression, air, there will never be pop, you know, businesses built around uh, affordable uh, air travel. And yet, 100 years later, it's inconceivable that aircraft would not exist, that businesses wouldn't exist around aircraft, and blimps are gone. Zeppelins just don't exist for us. Now, coronavirus is going to reboot a lot of assumptions around how to build a profitable airline or even aircraft manufacturer, but the technology is not going to go away. It's the business around it will be adapted to the realities of the consumer environment. And that's true of autonomous vehicles. In a way, the autonomous vehicle industry is lucky that this is happening now and not in five or 10 years, where massive deployments with vehicles with very specific hardware types operating in, in, in specific domains would find the demand gone. At least, at least there's an opportunity now to adapt to the realities on the ground before mass deployments arrive um, and make the first big deployments successful. So let's talk a little bit more about the shared business, because, of course, to me, sharing is a key with this, because that's where the, the real environmental values, the, the economic values, the value value, uh, the, the affordability aspect of it. But the sharing really is, is it's not big sharing. It's sharing two or three or, or four. I mean, if you get an average vehicle occupancy serving two trip makers in these things, all of a sudden, what's it cost you for a vehicle? 50 cents a mile. Basically, you're down to 25 cents a, a person, a trip mile. Can't we just make compartments in these things? You know, you have doors on each one. You don't need it's it's not as if we're gonna load up a subway train. This isn't for Manhattan, okay? For every place except for Manhattan, what you're talking about in the shared economy is that forty percent of the trips will only have one person in it. But you know, another twenty-five percent will have two. Another ten or fifteen percent will have three. Another six-passenger vehicle. You know, three doors. You get in your each compartment. If you really want a compartment, you can put. You know, if these things are not going to be nothing but but basically electric skateboards that you plop. You know, the the compartment in, and then, and then it takes you wherever you want. You can have you can have compartments and still have sharing. You don't you you can separate the if if that's really important. If we haven't gotten the shot and whatever, and we become immune to all this, and we get back to hugging each other and whatever as we love to do, um, you know, uh, what do you think about all that? Well, look, uh, first of all, I you know it's, it's not for me to comment on 
to design the vehicles that have not yet been revealed uh, from. Yeah, oh, please don't. Oh, we don't want that. We don't. We don't want any of that. But, no. You know, there for the companies, this is going to be an easier problem for the companies that have not yet shown their their release vehicles. Um, but you know, we're, we're still a couple of years away from deployment. I'm absolutely confident that there will be a, certainly a vaccine for corona, the coronavirus, so 19, probably before we see mass deployment of autonomous vehicles from the big companies. Maybe, well, Waymo is already out there. Um, and between now and then, I anticipate you'll see, you know, uh, antimicrobial surfaces. You'll see uh, consistent fleet cleaning. This, by the way, brings up an interesting point. If you uh, want to have a robotaxi fleet uh, that's commercially viable, uh, in, in certainly in any medium, near to medium term, you want the fleet to be uh, run by a fleet operator Absolutely. that either has you know the, the ability logistically to clean the vehicles and maintain the vehicles and make sure that they are clean and made as often as necessary. This is which is something say believers in a Tesla robo taxi fleet have not considered oh, because yeah, you're not yeah. going to privately own. <laughs> I have a Tesla and I love it, but. You know, in no universe would I want to get into a peer-to-peer shared Tesla robotaxi fleet if I don't know who the owner is and when the last time that thing was cleaned. And you don't know who maintained it. And what, I know you're a responsible guy, but I'm not a responsible guy. I'm a, put this. No, it, it, that can't happen. That's 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 going to be sol- is solvable. And the shared look, humans. We are a social species. We are bio. It's in our nature. It's biological. We are social. This is not the 28 days later virus, okay? This will be solved. Medical science exists and is always improving. So this will be solved. And we are going to, the world's going to change. Culture will change, but people wanting to be social and be together in many places, including vehicles, is going to persist. Yeah, we're not going to need a Darwinian type of, of transformation. Take seven billion people that have been that have been social animals, and now through Darwinian uh, whatever, we all be, all become all of a sudden become uh, antisocial and 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 complete distancing. It's My absurd. goodness, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> so, uh, if anything, and I, this is not we're not here to talk about the media. Yeah, the media, you know, the business models are based on on the on the most the greatest controversy and the biggest upset and tension but human nature is is also quite good Uh, we're a communal species so that will return alex uh, any thoughts about uh what ford uh, announced in the last couple of weeks uh, slowing things down in terms of their uh, autonomous efforts and i think it was a delay of about a year you're talking about I, I think it makes perfect sense you know yeah. the, it makes perfect sense in any in, in a way uh you know the the big news is the silence of the other companies that have not, that we're going we're going to miss their deadlines and haven't had to say anything uh yeah and so i mean cruise uh just you know got saved because they canceled their launch date and never announced one so yeah. no, i i totally support ford's decision i think it was wise um you know, i'm a big believer in bluntness and honesty my father's uh, advice for life was bad news first um, or just tell the truth. And so yeah. you know, good on Ford. I'm glad to be to be part of that. Yeah, I, I, I think that that was also a very good decision. It certainly doesn't doesn't hurt a one year delay. My goodness. The most important thing that we have to do is we have to do it well. 
When we put it out there, it has to work. We can't be killing Elaine Herzberg's, okay? We can't do that. That that is devastating. So a little bit more time for people, guys and gals, to write code, which guess what? In this environment, those folks aren't. I mean, my students are like, they're generating, I mean, code's coming up. Whoa, can you imagine the improvement? You, you cannot do a, a whole version change, you know, because you're not, you're not trying to get something. Hey, let's take time. Let's, let's, let's leapfrog the whole damn thing. Let's not go. Boom. Hey, this is, I look at this, this is a positive aspect of all this, because in fact, where you stumble is in the beginning points, where you make your mistakes is in the beginning beginning points and giving a little bit more time so that the pressure's not on there to get out there too too early is in fact a benefit that you know i'm a, you know, I'm a half full guy so uh, as opposed to go ahead i never you know i never thought in a million years i'd ever work for an autonomous vehicle company ever it's just not, and i was always, yeah, that's not your well, dna I was self-employed my whole life i was in media i was an investor um but my 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 first attraction to to argo was that when there's a guy named Eric Paul Dennis. Have you heard of this guy? Yeah. He's, uh, he's a transportation you know, smart guy. Uh, he does a timeline of all the autonomous vehicle companies going back years with the deadlines, the uh, target dates, and had all the companies that missed their dates. He updates it every month. And the only, one of the only, maybe the only company whose target launch date was like years out and had not missed was, was Argo. And so, that was my first introduction to who Argo was and what their approach is. But, you know, the big lesson, uh, and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this, uh, of the coronavirus kind of work from home and the lockdowns has been that my commute time, which would be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour uh, each day in each direction, um, has been replaced by work time. You know, people keep saying autonomous vehicles give you your time back um, to do whatever you want. But anecdotally almost everyone i know is just taking that time and just adding more work hours and i i don't know if that's a function of you know wanting to keep their jobs like in this current environment or if it's just that our natural inclination is to default to work um maybe were i younger my inclination would be default to, to xbox um but, but i think there's something that there's a lot of anthropological work to be done about what we've learned from the work from home time. A lot of people don't work. They actually do something that they love to do and want to do. Okay. They aren't being, they like you, like me. Okay. I I claim I've never worked. Okay. Because I've had the good fortune of doing stuff that I want to do. Guess what? If you have more time, guess what you want to do? More of stuff, that. stuff that you want to do. Guess I've, what? I've, I've been. Oh my goodness, eating, I've been eating this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, there is there is a problem about being home and there being a refrigerator downstairs. You know, uh, whoa! I mean, how, collateral damage from COVID-19. collateral damage. <laughs> uh, but this morning, I for the eleventh day in a row, I ran three miles. So anyway, but I'm um, better be- than me. Uh, uh, whatever. I'm, I'm. I have a question for you guys. You had uh, among the bullet points you sent me one that I wanted to make sure we talked about, which was yep. um, uh, how coronavirus is affecting the airlines and uh, and how people. Uh, was it you, uh, Alan, who brought up that people prefer to drive distances under 500 miles? 
Yeah, I, 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 I've repeated that and I put that in there. And in fact, I had, uh, had a student this, uh, who did a senior thesis and another one this year, basically look at the sort of short haul um, mobility aspects. And, and really, um, um, there's not good data out there to prove it because we really don't know we don't monitor really well how far people really drive and when they drive long distances. But even before the virus, most people were driving, you know, under 500 miles as opposed to flying. Who flew? Uh, those that had the money, those that had somebody else paying for them and so on. When you start looking at the, at, at post 2011, uh, the, the, uh, 9-11 with the headache that that air travel had to go through in other words the time you have to go to the airport the taking off your shoes the crap that you have to put up with the, the delays at newark for example and whatever and so on and so forth all of a sudden you do the trade-off i mean you can drive it almost as fast as you can fly it. And if it's not a coming back and forth and you're going to have your car with you, there's an enormous propensity. And, and in fact, the trade-off is, is you're better off driving it. Especially if it's a trip, like, a, like you're saying, to New York area, to Washington or New York area, to Boston, something like that. I mean, if yeah. you figure out the time, you've got to be at the airport an hour early and what all that hassle. Early plus and all that stuff. So, so in a sense, it's not been good. And then now, all of a sudden, now people say, oh, I'm in my own car and doing it. If, if you have your own car, you're not going to go to Newark. You're not going to go to Philadelphia. You're not going to go to uh, Easton. You're not going to go to Atlantic City. You're not going to go to Trenton. The regional airports are going to get killed, except – they may all of a sudden pick up air freight. Interesting. Ah. Interesting. So the question is, 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 is there a pivot opportunity for them to participate more in air freight in terms of the whole logistics business going on? Uh, of course, you have Amazon. Amazon's all in, in, you know, they've done the FedEx model of, of, of the super hub, bringing in super hub and all that sort of thing. Uh, they're in Cincinnati uh, or in Kentucky, but Cincinnati airport um, don't, but there, there is an opportunity, but, but short haul, why would you, why, why would you deal with the damn airlines? The airlines are, uh, you can say it. They're going to, they're, they're going to be in trouble. Well, look, what is Gatwood going to close? I mean, what, what, uh, um, um, uh, Value Jet just pulled out a Gatwick or something like that, and another one's talking about pulling out a Gatwick. Yeah, you know, I mean, what happens in Europe? I've been, and, uh, I've been I don't know. New York to Pittsburgh uh, every other week for the last yeah. year or so. Uh, it's three hundred seventy miles door to door. Yeah, hour and a half flight, and uh, but it's more like five hours uh, if I have to fly to get to the airport. Yeah. Well, for you, that's like a three hour drive, right? Not true. (laughs) I'm a father now. I, I'm I'm almost 50 and I, I drive like an old lady. If you you ask a girlfriend, she will tell you, I drive like, like I'm 90 years old and I'm so careful. Look, I go to Pittsburgh every once in a while because I was raised in Pittsburgh. I'm a Stiller fan or whatever. And so on, you know, Princeton to Pittsburgh, 
Princeton to Heinz Stadium, five hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, Pennsylvania Turnpike, no snow, with you know intelligent cruise control. Oh my goodness! And if I had a Tesla with autopilot, I mean, there would, there's no way I'm going to go to Philadelphia, Newark, and fly into Pittsburgh, and then have to then go through the tunnel out of Pittsburgh, out of the airport to get to this. No way. Yeah. No yeah. way. I mean, it's not even close. What's really <laughs> criminal is that if you want to take a train from New York to uh, Pittsburgh, I think it's like 11 hours. So and and it, it shows up at Pittsburgh at 3.30 in the morning or so. I mean, wait, wait, don't get me going on that one. I mean, look, I mean, uh, what are you going to do? Hey, did you guys see the Wired article about my friend Brian? Uh, yeah, I was going to mention. Yeah, that. yes, That's yes, very, it was. Uh, yeah, nice. Have it's that in the in the in the next uh, in the next uh, e letter. Yeah, very nice article, and and yeah, very well deserved, and and uh, you know, and it's uh, it's very nice, absolutely. Yeah, the title kind of says it all: the relentless startup <laughs> fast tracking Ford self driving cars. Very nice. Because seriously, I've had these conversations with Brian over and over and over. And he always says the same thing. Uh, he says, you know, a, pra- a pragmatic approach that, you know, does things methodically and correctly will get you to solutions. And among those things is, um, you know, get the cars to market in, in, using with a business around it. Um, and then eventually, um, and I said, Brian, does that eventually include that I'll have my, I could own a vehicle that has autonomy in it? He's like, Alex, you're just going to have to wait. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, building a business requires the shared fleet operations, and eventually we'll solve it a problem down the line. Right, but but do you even want to own one that that in fact really drive it drives itself? You want to own one you're going to drive a little bit, but really, and are you really responsible enough? Of of course you're responsible. I'm not responsible enough as an individual to send my vehicle out there to go pick up my kid at soccer practice and bring her home or something. Let, you know. Let let me tell you what I see. What I see is um, I'm going to continue driving myself in my car from New York to Pittsburgh because trains are not going to improve sure. in a reasonable time span. That the, these fences of autonomous vehicles uh, and shared fleets operating in cities will expand. Yeah. And eventually, a few generations down the road, um, there m- will be some uh, subscription-based autonomy option for a privately owned vehicle. Um, I think, and I've heard there's been talk about this. Uh, it's speculative at this point, but since the cost of the hardware and the software, um, if you were to buy the vehicle outright, would be prohibitive. But and you also need upgrades over time. So I think there's a scenario where once you've amortized all the R and D into shared commercial fleets and urban centers, it may be possible to have a subscription to uh, a geofenced autonomy option for, say, highways. You sit at a city, the subscription, you pay it, the system works, inside, the fence is the highway, uh, and then at the other end, uh, you either park your car, or if you want to enter the city, your car enters into a fleet-managed kind of tra- uh, traffic uh, system uh, at the other urban center. But that's... But Alex, Alex, if, if we get Fort Argo to come to Trenton... And provide mobility service in Trenton, which I, you know, this, and one of the things, go back to one of the things you said earlier about the the little things, you know, moving goods. 
if these things are providing value to the community, they will be respected by the community and the community will protect them and respect them and not kick them over as we were joking around. Okay. The, the respect of the community is really important. And if, if in fact Argo does come to, to, to Trenton, that respect, that's the thing that we're trying to actually build the, the respect for the, for the technology, because otherwise it's just so easy to throw a monkey wrench into it. Once that's there and it's operating there, there's no reason why the thing can't get onto the onto the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And if Argo is also operating in Pittsburgh, there's no reason why I can't get off the term and take me to Heinz, Heinz, it's, Heinz it's Field. I can get into it. No, I mean, hey, these are mobility machines. Some of them can just be moving around, taking people two miles, da, 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 whatever, around Trenton. But one can go out there one can come back one you know and how how whether or not you pay through a subscription service you pay by the mile it's free because of course it comes with something you know whatever well look or you know you're selling advertising who knows what look i i always people get tired of me using the elevator analogy but the elevator analogy is how much did you pay the last time you used an elevator in a building? Why? Well, because nobody can charge any rent my for any. Though I pay for it indirectly, and it's, it's yeah, pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you. Of course you pay for it indirect. You pay for everything indirectly. Everything ends up getting. Although now I guess we're just printing this up. But never, never mind. You know. Uh, you know. If if you're going to be able to charge any rent for that 14th floor, you've got to provide the mobility. Right. Why is this so different horizontally? Okay. Why, why have we evolved to a system where it says, Hey, you got to bring your own and you pay for it, sucker. It's your responsibility. You do it as opposed to, Hey, I want accessibility out of my home. Part of my taxes, property taxes pays for that. If Hamilton jewelers in Princeton wants me to go there to, to buy jewelry for my wife, Hey, part of their taxes goes, you know, who knows what the, what the, payment mechanisms going to be well you know okay i had a guest more than one guest on the no parking podcast uh gabe klein was on yeah. uh G- gabe klein who used to run uh, chicago and washington a uh, dot and jeffrey tumlin who now runs uh, san francisco um mta and talk talking about public private partnerships so you know as a lot of transit systems are underfunded or not optimally operated that there would be we speculated and we all agreed that there would be an increasing number of, of better integrated public-private partnerships that would bring autonomous vehicles and private mobility providers together with transit interlocking. Uh, and so that you know, mobility as a service apps could give you much more accurate information as to multimodal trips and that you might have some much more accurate predictions of you know, pickup and drop times. So... You know, one of the side effects of the coronavirus is that some of these folks like Jeffrey Tillman in San Francisco are getting to experiment with um, different street patterns, street closures, improving you know, lanes for bikes. And I think we'll probably see better mobility in general after coronavirus than we ever saw before. But the second point I'd like to make uh, earlier, you were talking about uh, respect. Um, uh, one of the biggest things that, uh, I'm always talking about with Brian uh, is that is the need for people to trust um, auto- autonomous vehicles and that 
Um, trust is not a number. I mean, yes, of course, num- you, need, you need numbers and metrics to make a safety case. But that we trust people whose actual skills we know nothing about to drive us places all the time um, yeah. on faith that they're humans, we're humans, they want to live, therefore we'll, we will live. And yet these are not based in reality. And yeah. so trust um, is this ephemeral thing that can only be built through a combination of demonstration plus time <laughs> and, yeah. and, some, and, and a human factor. You know, I would never go to a restaurant where I knew that the chef never washed his hands. Yeah. I don't need to know what the ingredients are. The guy doesn't wash his hands. I don't want to eat what he's cooking. Yeah. Um, and so this, this is, trust is a really essential part of building a technology, mark, you know, marketing it, and then deploying it. Um, because that last piece, um, can, once it's broken, it can, it's very hard to earn back for us. Absolutely. And, and again, back to my elevator analogy. Yeah. Hey, it's even automated. And we trust it. Did you see okay. the uh, old? We don't need. We don't. Huh? You ever see the old elevator? The yeah. pictures of Otis was it? Was yeah. Elevator Otis. General? I mean, what did Otis do? He 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 was demonstrating the the uh, the um, safety devices yeah. that would keep him. You know, and he had to go out again to build that trust. And once the trust is built, even though some people still die in elevators, really, there are accidents. Well, that, 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 don't they, tell anybody, but there Mark, are. You don't have to get the zero, okay? Mark Rosekind, the former head of NHTSA, will tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That, and anyone in transportation or science will tell you that if you leave the house, the chances that something <laughs> might happen are better than zero. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So the only yeah. question is how much far, how far away from zero is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right, right. And and life's a risk. Life is a risk. Yeah. Life is fun. It would be, as we've said many times on this, it, life would be boring if it wasn't a risk. Because, I mean, there would be no excitement. Look, I, I don't even want to talk about the stuff that you've done where yeah, you, I I, I, and you claim there's no risk. And blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, <laughs> you could not pay me to go skydiving. But I would get almost any speed. That, you know, there's another great quote from my friend Mark Rosekind. He says, "Listen, when it comes to safety, you can if things go wrong. You can you can blame people, or you can have safety. Yeah. Blame people doesn't solve anything. But safety is always a moving target, and the target hopefully it's like risk has a, has a, has a half life. Yeah. Science, engineering, and progress are always hacking away at it, but it's never zero." So how much better are we going to do tomorrow than today? Well, if folks want to know what Alan was talking about, they can Google Alex Roy. We can leave. <laughs> I'm tired. That never happened. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. We'll continue in just a moment, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. When you get to the website there, make sure that you read the white paper. It's titled The Smart Transportation Revolution at MOTOETF.com under the Insights and News tab. Uh, Great information there. It can help you make informed decisions. ETFs can be a great way to spread out that risk. (laughs) Not, Not the same risk that we were talking about, but it's a great way. Check it out. Alan, getting back to some of the other headlines in the latest Smart Driving Car newsletter. Tesla making news once again, of course. Electric are reporting that Tesla achieved record safety with autopilot, a more than 50% improvement last quarter, 
one accident for every 4.68 million autopilot miles driven. And they're saying the accident rate for those driving without autopilot uh, was 1.99 million miles, one accident. So... Well, I, first of all, they're not accidents; they're crashes. Uh, they're, you know, but but anyway, we won't get to what the definition of one is versus another, and, and so on. And darn it, I keep saying, I, I just wish that uh, Tesla would release its data so that someone like me or somebody else can do an independent evaluation of the darn thing. One thing is for sure, though. Tesla is gathering information about how people drive, where they drive, what the safety is, what the performance is, whatever it is. Unbelievably high quality data. Okay. And as we're seeing with the current things that we're going through right now, you know, if you have garbage in anything, you get nothing but garbage out and data are key. I just wish that Tesla would just open it up and, and let people actually see so that, so that in fact, you know, if they say so, it's one thing. If an independent entity says so, I think it's another, and it would really benefit them. They should just open that darn thing up and say, look, this is what it is. Take all the privacy stuff out of there and so on and so forth. You can even put out the GPS tracks if you take out the beginnings and ends, because then you can't really tell where the person lives, and you can't tell where they went to work or where they went to, but the piece in between is 90% of of it throw out the end please do that and send it to professor alan kornhauser yeah <laughs> no hey i'd love to look at it man i got students we we go through it's it's data that we never thought we could ever get and you're never gonna get it professor you know they never. never damn it <laughs> you're never gonna get it. listen I, I drive the hell out of my tesla and i i love it but let me tell you the predictable abuse that's going on here would yeah. would just shut them down so fast. They're never going to release that. The thing, my beef here is this. Um, we, without knowing where these miles are collected, but we know autopilot's primarily used on, on highways, but not exclusively. Not exclusively. Uh, not exclusively. That the sample, we have no baseline. And right. So it doesn't, it's just, Fox News had a chart a few weeks ago uh, where the you know, coronavirus deaths where, but it wasn't a linear. It wasn't linear on one axis, and you don't need to be a statistician to yeah. look at that and say that doesn't make sense. And so this is just we've been doing that all the whole time through this thing. Yeah, I've been doing it yeah. terrible. My <laughs> wife math, hates math, me. Math and science are tough mistresses for people who don't want to get married to the truth. Alex, you, yeah. you've had a firsthand look at some of the uh, latest updates to autopilot. So tell us what your impressions are. Uh, so the, the latest OTA update uh, offers uh, red light and stop sign uh, recognition. And I think it's supposed to stop the vehicle. I haven't actually tested that because um, I didn't want to. But let me say, for those who believe that I, I don't like Tesla, I've repeatedly said that I love my car and I highly recommend it for anyone who wants an electric vehicle. Now, so I'm going to say something very good about my Tesla. I was recently approaching in New Jersey. Um, I was approaching a red light, and I was distracted. Uh, and the uh, red light camera recognition warning went off, and it was the same le loudness level and alert type as um, automatic emergency braking. It went off as if, as if I was about to hit something. Um, and this is a safety feature that I had not encountered in any other vehicle. Uh, I almost went through a red and it told me and it warned me and I hit the brakes. 
I don't know. I don't think I was in actual danger, but that is a great driver assistant safety feature. That's terrific. Well, I think it should go farther. It shouldn't, if it, if it thinks you should stop, it shouldn't just warn you. It yeah. should stop. Of course. I mean, if it's, <laughs> if it's, uh, of course, now if people want to say, oh, the driver, he's, he or she is sacrosanct. They know what the hell they're doing. We wouldn't, I mean, Society of Automotive Engineers says do no harm to the poor driver. I mean, I hate those guys, but what? <laughs> They don't like me. Uh, we're going to have to cut that. I shouldn't say that. No, I mean, come on. I mean, the whole damn industry has, has, been, has been built up against to put the driver as sacrosanct and, and was afraid that, my goodness, if these systems are good and they, they, they're good, they, they should warn you, but they should also stop and they shouldn't wait to the last damn second and then have all hell break through loose to stop you. They should slow you down. What are you going to lose? Three seconds? I mean, cut, cut it out. Actually, you know, I've been looking, uh, I'm always looking at startups in uh, driver assistance and, and autonomous vehicles. And there are a couple of guys out there. One company that I love, it's not a secret, Adam Cogtech. They're doing like a next generation driver monitoring system that does um, uh, cognition prediction uh, through eye tracking. And there's different pr- approaches to this. But the one thing they do that I love, and I wish, I hope we see more of this, is they create an individual driver profile. So if your inputs on the brakes and steering over time um, are unsafe and, um, or don't correlate to your cognition, like one-to-one, if your cognition correlates to good behavior um, or not, they have, this, they, they have a profile for you. And uh, if you are about to make a mistake, and the system will predict whether you're going to react or not to, to uh, a crosswalk or a sign, um, it will or won't intervene or give you a warning. Because people have different um, behaviors while they're driving. Some people scan consistently. Some people don't. Some people don't scan, and yet they have great reaction times. And some people do scan, and the reaction times are terrible. And so we need a lot more personalization around the human-machine interface if people are going to drive cars in the future at all. Um, Otherwise, autonomous vehicles won't just make sense. They will justify themselves into ubiquity. Yeah, well, I, I agree 100%. Yes, we are we are different, which is good. I mean, vive la différence. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's it, and, and in fact, it should take these things into account, but it should, it should really intervene. And I think that, that, you know, Tesla coming out with a red light and stop sign camera recognition piece is really good. I hope they figured out what to do if there's a stationary object in the, in the lane ahead. And if, figured that one that they can't pass under because you know that's that's been absolutely terrible but apparently that's been a little bit fixed maybe the thing to me which i find it's not funny but i have a lot of friends who work in autonomous vehicle development at argo and at other you know companies who own teslas and it it is i mean it's it's like a bizarro world where anybody believes that and, and that, a, that a Tesla is next year is going to be capable of level four autonomy um, with a degree of safety that, that is necessary for people to trust them. Because if these things aren't um, recognizing stop signs with near 100% accuracy today, then they're not going to in six months or 12 months. Uh, this is, you know, high definition maps with, you know, databases of things like 
red lights and stop signs are essential to deploying an autonomous vehicle that doesn't have anyone in the, in the driver's seat or a steering wheel. Ooh, I want to disagree I, with I, you I, on I, that I'm, one. I'm baiting you, Alan. I'm, I'm baiting, baiting you. No, well, the problem with the high-definition maps is they only have the stationary objects. The key objects you're really trying to avoid from hitting when you're moving around are the moving objects. And so you've got to have your system really do well with the moving objects and the new objects that aren't there or the objects that are standing still now but aren't in the, de in the high definition map, fire truck and lane ahead. Okay, so since you have to do that, you might as well do it all. Okay, so you can't rely on, you can't say to yourself, oh, does the map really have it? And therefore, I've got to figure it out if it's there or not. Uh, having the high definition information is, in fact, not a crutch. Okay, so maybe, in fact, the noose that you uh, put around your neck and so, give you the shovel and say, the hole. What problem? It depends, of <laughs> course, what problem you want to solve. If you want to operate in a complex urban environment, um, and suburban environment, Trenton, anything I, I'm, I'm out in the woods. I don't care. <laughs> Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> the use case for what you're doing is going to change a lot in terms of the kind of hardware and software you need. So if you're operating in a low, in a low complexity environment uh, and you don't have a lot of pedestrians, you could potentially deploy a vehicle. I would, I would not want to be responsible for building a safety case for that. But yes, one could do so. Whether you can get people to trust it is a different No, thing. look where Elaine Herzberg was crossing the street. That was, that was an entirely different problem. No, it's not. A, it's it's, looked, it's a fundamental at, to the problem. Right. You, you at, can't assume that there's not going to be a pedestrian. No, no, but and no. you have to find the pedestrian in your – this is what you do when you drive. Did Even you, in the it, cannonball, you did it. That's true. But did you look – did you actually – if you piece together what happened um, – in that incident in Tempe, that, uh, the Uber ATG vehicle yeah. had crash. And I wrote a speculative article about it before I knew anything, guessing at what happened. Um, that you had some, some real problems. They were actually human problems in terms of how the sensor fusion was managed. And, yeah. and that's very different from whether or not you have maps. Those problems would have existed with or without maps. Um, that's organization. Yeah, but maps wouldn't have helped you. No, maps would not have solved that. Yeah, so so but you still need them. Don't solve still that need one. Them. A couple of other quick headlines, Alan. Uh, yep. Intel spending a billion dollars to buy the urban transit startup. Move it. Do I really have to comment? Yeah, I have a quick comment. You why don't you get this guy? You know Harry Campbell from the right yeah, here guy. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you get? Has he been on your show? No, no. We get him on the show because I, I he had an interesting tweet the other day. He said this all sounds great, nice and fine, yada yada. I, I, and then he said on his Twitter, he doesn't know a single person in the United States who uses Move It. Well, and I guess that's the comment that I have in, in, in smart driving cars. They claim that 80 million people, 800 million people uh, use Move It for transit information. I think that's a quote in it. I asked, my goodness, is there even 800 million people in the world that use transit, let alone use move it to get trans, whatever. I mean, and the unfortunate thing, I guess I shouldn't say, but of course I'll say, you know, Intel Capital was an investor in move it. 
all of a sudden Intel's not going to pay Intel capital, whatever. A nice that's, a, that's like a soft bank rework type situation. No, no, never mind. I don't know. I, I, Whatever. I, I just got myself in trouble. Well, we've talked a little bit about Lyft <laughs> and Uber earlier. Uh, Lyft announcing they're laying off a thousand people. Looks like Uber's laying off more too. I, I guess it's no surprise in this environment. Consolidation in the sector is coming. Um, it's a long time coming. So. Yeah, I mean, you, one, you, you, you have to have con- consolidation. Hey, look, transportation is fundamentally a utility. Okay. In fact, if we were a good, you know, communist Marxist entity, we would have, you know, one entity providing it for the benefit of all society and all that stuff. And the competition shouldn't be in there. Da, 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 da. But we're not, luckily. Uh, but that's what consolidation will bring. And of course, the other issue is with it. Um, um, if you end up having to pay the driver a uh, living wage and have them work a working time span during the day, uh, it can't be inexpensive. Are you suggesting that the California's new lawsuit against Uber and Lyft to, uh, so require, asking that they classify their workers as employees is a good thing? No, I'm not saying it's a good th- – well, I'm saying it's a good thing for the employees because I think the employees need to, need to have a living wage. I think everybody – people have to be able to feed their families. People shouldn't be slaves. They shouldn't be working for nothing. But all of a sudden, because of the labor costs associated with each one of those entities, and you now have to pay that uh, living wage to that entity, you become a transit company. Well, you know, what's the problem? Why are transit companies? so uh, unbelievably bankrupt it's because you know they pay their employees a living wage and because they do that you know they uh, the the prices it has to be such that uh, it's either unaffordable or it's uh, subsidized in some way and you, you can't get around that i have heard it said and i think there's some merit to this that uh you know google uh, uber and lyft have gathered such volumes of data about uh, consumer behavior and location that uh, their uh, acquisition by companies trying to build profitable business in this sector might be a public good. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't. I think that's easy to capture and so on by by anybody. I don't think that I don't think the fundamental data and the knowledge of that really helps. I think what you want is a system that can respond to the demand. The customer will let you know what the demand is. We have enough. They develop great apps. I mean, really great apps. We can go and make greater apps, but. But, you know, it's it's the ability of the entity to respond to customer demand. Customers will tell you where they are, where they want to go, when they want to go. The issue is, is how do you provide the mobility system that goes and serves them? If you have to convince a driver to do that, then, my goodness, it's like herding cats. I mean, it's just not easy. I mean, you have to deal with them. And when they're not employees, oh, my goodness. I mean, that may be the fundamental expertise that Uber and Lyft have gotten is how to handle gig workers and how to make them work when you want them to work without paying them. I mean, my goodness. uh, But it doesn't scale. 
you, we started out this discussion about scaling. They serve less than 1% of the trips in their high point. 1%. What's 1%? It's a niche business. How do you get to five? How do you get to 10? Okay. You know, to get to 10%, do you have 10 times as many Uber drivers that want to drive for Uber at the times those people want to travel and do it for free? Not unless you want to increase traffic. <laughs> well, or I mean, if to increase traffic, you can't even, I don't think you can find the people who want right now. You've employed the people who are willing to earn the least. Mm-hmm. Any incremental one has to earn more. That means that's, going to make it even tougher because the price is going to have to go up. So the whole dynamic of the, of the fundamental business is it can't scale without driverless. Which is why you've got to go driverless. You have to. Which is why you have to go driverless. What does driverless do? It takes that labor cost the heck out of there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the labor cost is substantial. It may not be as substantial as it, as it could be with Uber Lyft. Why? Because people are doing it for free. Why is the car so successful with the 80, 90% of the other trip? It's because we drive it for free. We give our time, our effort, our intelligence, our everything, and we don't charge, you know, Tesla or, or Mercedes or GM, you know, for it. Uh, we say, oh, we love to do it. <laughs> you know, of course, they convince damn Madison Avenue. <laughs> and and the madmen. <laughs> anyway, we always have fun, don't we? This uh, is, this lot, really has been for another hour. I sort of put you. You, uh, you did put on the list here because we really, my God, this has been going all day. Uh, you, you had a story here about Tesla researchers published work on hybrid battery enabling all electric car range extender, and I just wanted to point out um, that. Uh, I, this this headline baffles me because it could be rewritten. This is the, the copywriter in me as um, uh, higher power density battery <laughs> in development. <laughs> I, 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 and, it's a little and, confusing, that story. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, uh, and it comes from an outlet that whose name is Legion to me. I, almost, I can't read anything published there because I – the intellectual firepower is not behind that place. Um, uh, but what I'm really saying is if you're going to write a story about an increased, uh, a, a superior power density electric car battery, which is worth new, it's news, then the real story around that is um, why do people need electric vehicles with such big batteries? Most trips are not that long. And uh, the cost of these batteries is very high. So what we really need isn't bigger batteries or even higher power density batteries. We have batteries that are smaller, that are tailored to the average commute length, that use fewer precious, uh, precious metals so we don't have to mine as much of it. And so over time, we're not recycling and throwing out these very expensive polluting battery packs, most of which people don't really need. And, and I wish that story was getting written. But Alex, yeah. but Alex, what about range anxiety? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to go visit grandma sometime. And, and she lives. What I mean, 
it, it's it's all about range anxiety. And the beauty about having this in driverless vehicles by a fleet operator, holy hell, there's no range anxiety because you know what it is. You can substitute, blah, 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 you, brother, you manage it. No problem. Go ahead. I have a question for you, yeah. Dr. Kornhauser. When you... <laughs> I know you're young at heart now, but at one point in your life, you were actually younger. Um, and at that point, I don't know what year that was. Um, okay, for me, youth was sometime in the late 70s, early 80s. And I, my father had a Cadillac Fleetwood Broom, a 77. And that thing, if you, I think if you fill the fuel tank completely and you drove it reasonably, that the range of that vehicle might be 200 miles. <laughs> So because 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 yeah right it might have had a four hundred gallon tank but it required like two gallons per mile right the three speed automatic had two had a fuel economy light in the dash it was green or yellow and it was oh, anytime you we were in motion it was yellow yeah so the range anxiety like safety is this bizarre moving target for the most of the century. The internal combustion car, and this, I think the average family sedan in the, tw- in the 20th century might have gotten 250, 275 miles of range. And so uh, uh, electric vehicles are, are matching that or surpassing it. Now, but Alex, you knew that there was going to be a gas station out there unless you were in Nevada. OK. Yes. And and the problem with with it, And one of the things that I think Tesla's really done a good job on is putting charging stations throughout the country. Agreed. Okay? Why did they do that? It's the deal with the range anxiety aspect yeah. of it. I mean, and that that's, you know, that's to basically say, hey, you know, in case you do want to go, we have these things, we'll even make it free or whatever. I don't even know what the pricing, but, you know, Tesla, when you look at some of the fundamental, really good decisions that they made, investing in those things, I mean, I I haven't done the analytics on it, of course, but I suspect that, man. I think that that, in fact, they could almost have looked at that as a marketing expense rather than infrastructure because – uh, in terms of value there, it's off the chart. Hey, look at what Autopilot's done for them. Yeah. I, I, I make the outlandish claim that, in fact, Autopilot uh, sells more Teslas than, than, than the electric part. It's probably an outlandish claim and so on. But, but look, they've done – I never thought that they would do it that well. I, I just – but look, you use it. Do you use yours? Uh, 99% of my road miles – I use autopilot. I, mean, I didn't think I was, I thought you were going to say 60. No, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, it's, 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 it's amazing. Yeah, it's actually, a, but how many, how many of those miles do you not pay attention? Uh, I'm paying attention. 97% of them. Um, okay. I, to be clear, I would not. Yeah, no, you've got to pay attention. You've got to pay you, any, any thought that you don't pay attention is like, you know, yeah. might as well put a head a gun to your head, you know? You know, we did I, have we did have one other Tesla story too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> throw, go ahead. Throw that in. Elon uh, Musk has yet another new baby, this time literally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that he named A twelve or something or other. Uh, I, I, I can't yeah, pronounce the name. Uh, People have to look it up. But the I thing guess is, we should congratulate him. And his- I would not uh, buy another vehicle unless it had a that had very good radar cruise control and some at least 
nominal lane keeping system. Yeah. I mean, I've used the Porsche system. It's okay. Volvo, it's okay. Autopilot is better. I used uh, Cadillac Super Cruise has now had an upgrade. I haven't used that. My next car would have to have such a system because it, it's just for long distance driving. It's better. So. Yeah, I you know I have a, a Mercedes S Class 2014. It's not very good in lane center. It does have it. It's I think terrible. The one thing that it does do though is it leads you into the curve. I mean, it, it really makes driving easier. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, you know, you just rest your hand on there, and it just makes it easier. And of course, the intelligent cruise control is absolutely necessary. Uh, automated emergency brake that actually works and that if there's a stationary object ahead of you that it will break for it uh, ha- absolutely necessary i think in terms of you know total um uh, amenities for driving and and i've argued that with with trucks it's even more important not to take the driver out of trucks but just to allow the driver to have a little bit of an improvement in the quality of his or her life at work. I mean, could, I mean, imagine having to do this for 10 hours every day to feed your family. And if you, you know, lose it for just a little bit, you die. I mean, those, those guys and gals really need it in there. I know they think they're macho, but go ahead. Uh, you know, something. I think we need another episode. No, we do. We do. I mean, we can talk about this forever, right? Two thirds the way through our list, but um, yeah. we got to wrap this one up. Yeah. Okay. It's really great to have you with us, uh, Alex, and and we want to tell the audience that they can find you at noparkingpodcast.com. Great, great podcast. I enjoy listening to it. Thanks so much, Fred. Thank you, uh, Professor. And thank you, Alex. And uh, my wife, Elizabeth, sends her regards and um, and um, says hello. Send her my love and your family as well. <laughs> thank you. You too. That'll wrap up this edition. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. More information available at MOTOETF.com. Also, we want to remind you that if you haven't checked it out already, please take a look at our new debate series at Zoom-Tank.com. Stay tuned for a word on the next one as well. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com. Also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts, and you can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe.